Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The portion of God's Word that's the focus of our attention today is our Gospel reading from Matthew chapter 4. Please rise as we hear selected verses of that passage. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Then Jesus said to him, to the devil, Go away, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and just then angels came and served him. This is the word of our God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, these are your words. Make us holy through the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. Winning and losing. Now those two concepts apply to, to many aspects in this world, many aspects of our life in this world. I want you to think just for a moment about the Olympics. One of the athletic contests that's held every four years where ostensibly all of the best athletes of the world gather around and they try to determine who is the best, who is the winner for each individual event. The differences between the ultimate winner, let's say the gold medal winner, and those who win the silver and bronze, well, the differences sometimes are very minute. If it's a, a race, it might be like hundredths of a second, or the distance might be very, very tiny, the differences between them. But still, whoever it is that, that wins that gold medal, they are the winner, regardless of how close it was, even if they didn't blow the competition away. Or think about political races. In this country in 1960, the presidential election between John F. Kennedy and, and Richard Nixon came down to 113,000 of the popular votes out of 68 million votes cast. It wasn't a blowout, but still, President Kennedy was the president. This morning, as we continue our observance of the Lenten season, we see this familiar account of Jesus taking on the devil in the wilderness, the devil coming to Jesus to tempt him. And when he did this, when this competition, if you will, took place, the stakes were very high. And the outcome of this matchup, you see, would affect mankind for all eternity. We know the outcome, but that outcome does come kind of screaming across to us like a big headline across the ages. Jesus defeats the devil. In many respects, we might look at this contest between Jesus and the devil and think that it wasn't really fair. I mean, here it is, the devil, granted he's very powerful, but he's taking on Jesus. Jesus, who is the Son of God. But this really was not a slam dunk. That's because of how Jesus defeated the devil. He didn't just use his divine power and, and blast the devil out of the water. No. He used his word, God's word, to defeat the devil. And that victory was assured because God's word always wins over the devil. What was the devil trying to do when he tempted Jesus here in the wilderness? Think about two of his temptations, how he qualified those two. He said, if you are the Son of God. 
That little word, if, is important there. Now, from the time of the first promise of a Savior in the garden, it was clear that the Messiah was not going to be just any person. He wasn't just going to be a human being who was going to come, but he was going to be a very special being, a special person who was going to be both God and man, both divine and human. Jesus was a very unique being. We heard about that last week when we thought about the transfiguration of Jesus. And so the first thing that the devil did was to attack this very premise. Really, he was saying, are you really the God-man, Jesus? I know that you're hungry. I know that you've been out here fasting for 40 days in the wilderness. And all you have to do is use some of your power to make these stones become bread. If you really are the Son of God. Now, does that tactic sound familiar? We could say the devil really wasn't being that creative when it came to tempting Jesus. Think about in the garden, in the garden when he was tempting Adam and Eve. Did God really say? He was questioning the truth, questioning the truth of God's word, the truth that he knew, he himself knew to be true. It was clear that, that Jesus was indeed God and man. And the devil attacked this truth by, by tempting Jesus to prove it to his satisfaction, to the devil's satisfaction. But God's word, God the Father, is very clear himself as to who Jesus is. Just before Jesus was led out into the wilderness, he was baptized by John the baptizer. And we think about what happened at that baptism also. God the Father spoke from heaven. This is my son whom I love, in whom I delight. There was no doubt that Jesus was God's son. And so when the devil questioned this, that Jesus the man was also Jesus the son of God, Jesus used the word, God's word, to show that he couldn't do what the devil had asked. Now, obviously, it wasn't because Jesus didn't have the power to do it. He was God. He, he has the power. But what if Jesus had given in? What if Jesus had not used God's word, in this case, to defeat this temptation of the devil? Well, then all of the work that Jesus came to do, his work as Messiah, would have been worthless. Everything that he came to do, he came to do for us. He came to do in our place. He had to live a perfect life for us. Had he given in, well, that would have been gone because he would have sinned by giving in to this temptation of the devil. We know we can't live according to God's law, perfectly according to God's law as he requires. And Jesus had to live that life for us. And God gives us credit for that perfect life when he clothes us in that perfection. Paul writes in Galatians 3, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And that's how God makes us his own. He clothes us in the perfect life of our Savior. And because we are his own, because God has made us his own, we have the same weapon to fight against the devil. We have God's word. Now, there are some things in this world 
that are not going to change. There's that old joke, of course, about the only sure things in life being death and taxes. But as Christians, we know that there are other things that don't change. And one of them, one of the sureties, if you will, is that the devil is going to continue to try to tempt us to sin. And that's why God gives us his word to fight him off. Just as the devil doesn't change in his tactics, so also God's word doesn't change. It remains the same. Obviously, there are many people in this world who don't believe that. I saw that there was a Gallup poll last year of of Americans that that asked about God's word and their views on God's word. 20% of those polled said that the Bible is the literal word of God. But there were another 29% who said that the Bible is a collection of fables, legends, history, and moral precepts recorded by man. In other words, it's a nice book. And that was a poll of just average everyday people. If you had taken a poll of many of the religious leaders in this country, it probably the numbers would have been worse. But God has a different opinion about his word. He says in Isaiah, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. God's word has not changed. It does not change. It will not change. It remains the same. And that's why it is the weapon of choice for us when it comes to fighting off the devil's temptations. So we have to ask ourselves, how well are we armed? Now, I'm not calling into question the ability of God's word to fight off temptation because that's what we use. What I'm wondering about is how well do we know God's word to be able to use it? That hits us pretty hard many times. We know that we all fall short of really knowing God's word as well as we could, as well as we maybe should. Too often we're, we're satisfied with just taking a, let's say, a band-aid approach to things. We learn a few verses of God's word so that we can kind of stick it on here and there when we think the situation applies. But we just want to get by with that amount of God's word. We want to go and, and just have that quick fix instead of knowing God's word well. We try to just get by just so that we can make it. But that might not be enough. That little bit, that little snack of God's word here and there, maybe that's not enough for us. Remember what we're up against. Paul says in Ephesians 6, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. We are battling against the devil and all of, all of the sinister forces that he can muster. We need to be prepared. We need to be ready for this battle at all times. And so we need the weapon of God's word. We need to know what God's word says so that when the devil approaches us, when he attacks us with a temptation, we know how to respond. We know what to tell him. And we, the only way we're going to know is to know what God's word says. We need to study it. We need to put ourselves on a, on a better diet of God's word. Now, I don't say that simply to make you feel guilty if you're not 
studying God's word enough, or if you don't think that you are. The more we study the Bible, though, the more God gives us encouragement and, and gives us that desire to study it more. The more we study it, we agree with the psalmist who says, Oh, how I love your laws. I meditate on them all day long. Jesus used the word, God's word, to defeat the devil. And he uses, we use that same weapon when it comes to our fight against the devil. But this contest, if you will, this, this battle between Jesus and the devil, was it simply to show how well each one could, could recite God's word? The devil used God's word against Jesus in these temptations too. What was the reason why Jesus defeated the devil? Jesus defeated the devil for us. Imagine seeing this sight at the Olympics. At the end of the particular event, and you've got the medal ceremony. The gold medal winner is there on the podium. The national anthem of that country is being played. They get the, the gold medal placed on their neck. And after all of the celebration there, the gold medal winner goes and he finds the person who came in absolutely last in that event. And they take their gold medal and they, they go and they put it on that last place person. It would be kind of amazing, wouldn't, wouldn't it? It would be a, a, quite an act of kindness. How much more so with how Jesus treats us? Yes, through faith, his victory. His victory over the devil is our victory. Now, by outward appearances, we have fallen prey many times to the devil's temptation. We have, we have taken the devil's bread, if you will, because we don't want to provide for ourselves. We want somebody else to do it for us. We want our lives to be easy. We've succumbed to all of the temptations of the devil who wants us to think that our life should be easy. He tells us to, to go ahead and sin because this or that is going to make you happy. Your pleasure is, is what your life is about, he tells us. And way too often we believe him. When we do that, we give in. And when we give in, we have fallen down before him. And we have worshipped him instead of worshipping God alone. It appears in many cases that we have been beaten. And if we were on our own, solely on our own, we would be beaten by the devil. But Jesus doesn't leave us there. He doesn't leave us there wallowing in the misery of our sin. But he comes to us. He comes to us in our baptism and he pulls us up out of the muck and the mire of of the devil's temptations and all of his evil ways. And he brings us to himself. He washes us clean of our sins. He gives us his perfection, his perfect life. He credits to us. He puts, if you will, his gold medal around our neck. And he declares us winners over Satan. So instead of what we deserve, we deserve eternal punishment in hell, he gives us instead eternal life. He gives us forgiveness of our sins. He gives us life. He gives us salvation. 
In Christ, God reconciled the world to himself by not counting their sins against them, Paul said in 2 Corinthians. And then Jesus' defeat of the devil wasn't just there in the wilderness. Jesus also defeated the devil when, when he rose from the dead. He took the punishment that we deserve for our sins, and then he conquered death and the devil. And so we actually have the strength, we have the fortitude to withstand all of the temptations of the devil, right? Can't we just look the devil in his eye when he comes to us and, and say, I don't have to give in to you. I don't have to do what you want me to do. You have no power over me. Jesus defeated you for me. Yes, we have that power. And I suppose we could say it's easier to say that than, than to actually do it. We know we get into many tough situations at times. But when we do, we have to remember who is ultimately in control. It's not the devil. God is the one who holds ultimate control over the devil and anything that he tries to do to us. God controls how much the devil can tempt us. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, no temptation has taken hold of you other than that which any human being can expect. And you can trust God. He will not let you be tempted more than what you can stand. But when you are tempted, he will give you a way out so that you can bear it. Now that's quite an assurance. It doesn't matter what temptation comes our way. We know it's not going to be too much. We may think that it's more than we can handle. But God says it's not because he is there to give us the strength, to give us the ability to overcome that temptation. The strength is not in us. The strength comes solely from God. God controls the devil in this way for us, you see. He has our best interests in mind. God always has our best interests in mind. Remember who we are. We are his children. We are the, the people whom he has chosen from eternity. The people for whom he sent Jesus to be our Savior. The people that he has made his own. We are more precious to him than any other part of his creation. So with God and his word on our side, what need do we have to fear the devil? Martin Luther, who, who always had a way with words, said this, Why should we be afraid? Do you not know that the prince of this world has been judged? He is no lord, no prince anymore. You have a different, a stronger Lord, Christ, who has overcome and bound him. Therefore, let the prince and God of this world look sour, bare his teeth, make a great noise, threaten and act in an unmannerly way. He can do no more than a bad dog on a chain, which may bark, run here and there, and tear at the chain. But because it is tied and you can avoid it, it cannot bite you. So the devil acts toward every Christian. Therefore, everything depends on this, that we do not feel secure, but continue in the fear of God and in prayer. Then the chained dog cannot harm us. When Jesus defeated 
the devil's temptations in the wilderness. Really, that was the beginning of the end for the devil. The devil was going to continue to try to fight against Jesus, to defeat him, culminating in Jesus' death. But Jesus wins. Jesus defeats the devil. So as we enter this season of Lent, looking forward to that brighter day of Easter, that is our battle cry. Amen. Please rise. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.